Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is the Bucks Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Bucks Wire editor, Luke Easterling. And there were no days off. There you go, Luke. That was just my little gift to you right there. My guy, Bill Belichick. I think he was chanting that during one of the Patriots Super Bowl parades. Trying to get the fans to chant no days off <laughs> during a Super Bowl parade. But I feel like that's that's life for you right now, man. There's no days off. You got the Bucks wire. You got the draft wire. We finally arrived. We're, we're literally talking right now, recording on the eve of draft weekend, man. It's It's finally here. We have made it. We have, man. I think my favorite part of that uh, that uh, audio you just played is that he's chanting no days off to a massive parade of people who all skipped work that day. <laughs> yeah, it made no sense. Everyone's like, uh-huh, you want us to chant this with you, Bill? All right, whatever. Like, what, what do you mean? My, my boss still thinks I'm at lunch three hours later. What do you mean? <laughs> this, 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 literally my day off. I just, I took it. But no, man, it's, you know, it is. This is my Christmas. We're finally here. It's time to, you know, all the opinions are, are out there. We're all, I mean, it feels like we've all been just making stuff up for a couple of weeks anyway. Sure, sure. Um, it's time to just get rolling, man. It's time. It's time. All the hay's in the barn now, and, and let's do it. Lots of draft stuff I want to get to this week, but first of all, for the Bucks, I think the news right now kind of buried behind the draft, so very, very well done, Tampa, kind of burying this one. Uh, Antonio Brown gets a one-year deal with the Bucks. Not bad money, Luke. 6.25 million, 3.1 mil guaranteed, $2 million signing bonus. So some real money attached to Antonio Brown. He's back. And uh, right before we started recording, you didn't seem so excited about AB being back on this contract. Talk about it. What do you what do you think about AB being back with the Bucks? I mean, it is what it is, man. Uh, you know, there's there's a large number of Bucks fans who have been giving me grief about how I feel about Antonio Brown being on this team since since the signing happened. And and listen, I have a great appreciation for the football player that Antonio Brown once was (laughs) in Pittsburgh. Uh, He is not that player anymore. I'm not saying he's not a a productive player. Obviously he was a productive player for the bucks last year. Once he kind of got going when those injuries happened at wide receiver down the stretch, I am not saying he was not a valuable part of that team. And and obviously a a key contributor in getting them to that super bowl. I, I think it's just when you look holistically at at his presence on the team and what it means for a lot of different things. First of all, I'm still very uncomfortable with, with some of the off field things that he's been accused of. And, you know, I've seen posts and I've seen fans and certain people talk about him, you know, either paying his dues or he overcame adversity. Listen, that adversity was all caused by his own actions and words and and the things that, that he has been again, accused of and not, you know, it's one thing to go through court proceedings and to go through things and have it, you know, come out that obviously these things didn't happen. That's one thing, but that's kind of not the case here. Uh, It's just a situation that obviously was, was settled in the courts, but that has nothing to do with whether or not those things happened. And so that's still a huge point of contention for me with a guy like that. And I know Jason Light and Bruce Arians, they've said, you know, he's done all the right things since he's been here and he's been a great teammate and he has stayed out of trouble off the field. And 
Yeah, I understand that. It just feels like them waiting for him to kind of announce the the settlement in this uh, civil lawsuit over the sexual assault allegations. You know, that being the reason they went ahead and signed them. I'm not saying that's why. It just the timing kind of feels that way. Mm-hmm. And it's still it makes me uncomfortable. I'm just not comfortable with that because that that should not have made that much of a difference. Just the fact that this you know matter was settled in a civil manner. Um, so that part of it. Is, is its own thing. And then if you want to talk about the football side of it, you know, money is, is not, there's not a lot of money for the bucks right now. So if, if you're talking about how to best spend your money, you're already spending $30 million on your top two wide receivers, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, obviously worth it. So you look at ways you can save money. And on that depth chart, I'm looking at two young, cheap, talented wide receivers who are developing nicely Tyler Johnson is a rookie fifth round pick last year. Scotty Miller is a second year sixth round pick from the year before. And again, people will want to draw connections between how I feel about AB on the field and how I feel about him off the field. And those things are not connected. There are separate reasons why I think they probably should have gone in a different direction. But we've talked about this before. You know, the only reason AB is here on this team in the first place is because of who's throwing him the football. Yeah, Brady. And I understand that. We all know that. And it it is what it is. So I acknowledge that. They're friends. He wants to, you know, help him rebuild his his image and his career and get back in the game. I understand the reality of that. I'm just saying from a bird's eye view, both in terms of the off-field impact of having that guy representing your team and also the fact that the way the roster is constructed – they need to save every month, every dollar possible, and, and giving like, like you said, that was pretty decent money for AB. When I don't know if he had really a whole lot of suitors competing for his services, yep. and when you got guys like Miller and Johnson who are young, cheap, developing, and, and need to be on the field, they need to get opportunities to continue to, to develop. When you when you give that money and all those reps to a thirty two year old guy who's not going to be getting any better, I just don't know how it actually makes your team better. AB, my stance on him hasn't changed since his short stint with the Patriots. Uh, good player, but not a good person. And, and I think that's that's a tough one to kind of weigh when you're building a football team. And like you said, he's not a huge priority. He's kind of, I don't know, he's one of the, the fringe guys that are going to try to help you get over the top. But um, I think this Bucks team is kind of already over the top after last year. Uh, but they bring back AB on, on some real money. And they've already restructured Cameron Brait. You wrote about Ryan Jensen, the center. He might be next. So they're going to have to make some moves attached to this, Luke, so they can sign their guys on draft day. But we're not going to let AB dominate our discussion today. There's a lot going on. And um, there's a lot going on for you, man. You, you're you not only the the editor of the Bucks Wire, but you're editor of Draft Wire. And I'm guessing this is just a wild weekend in the life of Luke Easterling, right? I mean, how do you even approach what what's draft weekend like for you from Thursday night to the whole weekend? I mean, it's, you know, it's honestly everything I hoped it would be when I was 12 and 13 years old, parking it on the couch on Saturday and Sunday uh, with my dad and my my brothers watching the marathon that it used to be. It was only two days, right? Right, right. Um, Back in those days. And and honestly, just dreaming of the ability to be like, you know, what if I could do this, but then someone would pay me to do that (laughs) and it could be my actual job and I would pay the bills because I'm sitting here doing this because even at 12 and 13, man, I'm still, I'm making mock drafts. I'm making, you know, scouting reports and all this stuff for literally no one outside my house. Like my parents, God love them. And all my siblings, thank God I came from a big family. So I had a readership, uh, you know, so everybody's, you know, telling me what a, 
cool thing I wrote that no one will ever see outside this house. But like, I would literally go to church and like find people who were rooting for other teams. We grew up in Tampa here, so we're Bucks fans. But like, I would literally make draft guides for like that one guy who's from California who roots for the 49ers and the one guy who's a Steelers fan. And like, that's, that was my childhood. Okay. So that's awesome. So the fact that, and you know, th- this strikes me at least a handful, you know, half a dozen times throughout the pre-draft process when things start to get really busy and I'm up late and I'm, you know, cranking out content and I'm trying to write through something that, I, you know, everybody has it. No matter if you love your job or not, you're always those moments where you're like, man, I'm tired. I'm trying to crank this out. I'm trying to do this. And there's always that moment where even though you love what you're doing, you're like, man, this is, you know, this is work. But it always, like, as soon as I get to that moment, I always, always, like, I hear that voice of, of my 12 or 13 year old self. That's almost like, you know, I don't know what colorful words, words he knew back then necessarily, but he would very colorfully, you know, give me some perspective <laughs> in, in, in what I'm doing. And it's so, it's such a, a cool moment for me to kind of just sit there and bask in the fact that, that I do get to do this. And I'm so blessed to be able to do this for a living. But in terms of what it actually looks like, man, I, I kind of like my setup right now. I, I got, you know, a nice big TV in the living room. I got my desk right there. My whole workspace kind of is part of the living room setup. Um, and, and I've just got, I get to enjoy it much like everybody in the NFL enjoyed it last year with my kids there, uh, you know, with everybody around, if I need to, you know, jump up and, uh, uh, get the cat from scratching on something or get the, you know, casserole out of the oven. I can do that cause I'm there, but otherwise, man, I'm just, I'm locked in at the computer. I'm, I'm pulling the strings like a, like a live TV producer. I feel like, cause I've got, you know, obviously some contributors that, that write for us at draft wire where, you know, lots of Excel spreadsheets tracking, you know, picks and assignments and who's doing this, who's doing that. Um, we, we just, we try to stay on top of it. I run a live tracker where I'm grading all the picks in real time. Obviously, you know, the real work begins after a day ends, right? So first round on Friday, on Thursday night, second and third rounds are over Friday night. And then obviously after everything is done on, on Saturday, that's when like the real work starts because you're recapping everything, but you're also previewing what's next for the next day, who's left on the board, who did well, who didn't. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's trying to keep both of those things uh, separate and, and just do an effective job of, you know, giving people what they want to read. You know, I'm, I'm not, we are not the site that's going to give you a 15,000 word dissertation on why a fifth, fifth round wide receiver won't succeed at the next level. Uh, we're, that's not what we do. We are trying, you know, we're trying to give every NFL fan an, enough baseline knowledge about who their team drafted to make them excited. That's what's so fun about the draft, man. It's the Super Bowl for everybody. Every team gets to be hopeful for three days a year. Okay. So whether, you know, no matter what you did or didn't do in free agency, no matter what you did last year, you come out of draft day with a reason to be excited about next year. All of those rookies, no matter, even if you're the Texans, you don't even pick till the third round, but by the end of Saturday, you're going to have a couple of guys that you're like, maybe those guys can be the reason we go five and 11 instead of two and 14, (laughs) or two and two and 15. We can't even use those numbers anymore. We got 17 games now. Um, it's such a fun experience to be able to do this for a living and to do what I, I mean, if I had any other job, I would be doing this anyway. So the fact that it gets to be my job is just so fun. Yeah, no, it sounds like you're saying it's a lot of work, but it, it beats working at the same time, right? That's kind of, that's kind of what Belichick was saying right at the top of the hour there. Like when we started recording, like no days off baby. And it's, and that's what we're here for. It's, it's so good. So um, a lot to get to with the draft. I want to get Luke's take on all kinds of different things, uh, including some predictions. We'll do all that coming up next. 
Luke, one thing that probably took a lot of coordination, spreadsheets, Slack channels, all that was the um, the mock draft you guys put out that had every NFL Wire editor involved. Everybody made their pick. I thought this was kind of fun. How does that kind of go down? I mean, that is that all on Slack or something? I mean, that that looks like a really fun process that you guys kind of go through every year. Yeah, it's it's a mix of platforms, right? So we've got the the picks and the banter happening in the Slack channel. Then we've got a separate Google Doc, obviously, where our fearless leader Neil Kulong is as, uh, assembling all of the information, uh, and we give him the explanations, and he enters the picks in. And then on on actual draft wire, we turn that into a post, a a, a mock draft where you guys can you know scroll through and see all the picks and and all that. So it's it's a multi platform endeavor. We were so excited and proud of ourselves this year because we got it done in like three hours on Slack. Bad. Which not bad. I, I mean, we do this every year, and it never takes less than a day. Like it, 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 if we make the last pick the same day we made the first pick, that's never happened before until this time. So it was very. We're clearly getting better at this. Uh, and it was a really, really fun process. Yeah, because, you know, John Sigler from the Saints, he's got to go walk the puppy. And, you know, you got somebody else with a brisket. You know, they got to go check on that. So that, I'm sure that's what happens in the past, right? This is it's, Oh, it's absolutely. So and, so-and-so's internet is out. Yeah, this guy's yeah, got yeah. a hurricane to deal with. <laughs> yeah. You know, somebody's got a six-month-old who won't stop crying. We've mm-hmm. been there. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it never takes less than 24 hours. We were shocked. All right. Now, and this was fun because, uh, you know, some things go down in this mock draft, like Micah Parsons tumbling all the way down to the Steelers uh, and Kirk Potejoy over there at number 24 overall. I thought that thing was that was interesting. I, I think a lot of people are high on Micah Parsons going in that 10, 11, 12 range. But him tumbling all the way to 24, I thought that one caught my eye. Yeah, it does. And, and I think, again, it's going to be interesting to see what happens Thursday because, it's all off the field for Michael Parsons on the field as a player. He's a top 10 player. Absolutely. He's number six on my overall board uh, on draft wire, just because again, when it comes to the character stuff, a lot of times it's, it's hard to know what, how to value that and how teams value that. So I, I try as best as I can with the player evaluations in terms of the draft to stick to what I know and what I can see, which is what kind of football player is this? Um, but I, I can see the off field stuff being, enough to push him down the board to where teams, you know, if you have a, a similar player and one guy does not have any off-field issues and one guy does, you take the guy who doesn't, right? So it, it could be a situation where he is on the board that long. We've seen it happen before with talented players. Um, but man, if, if that ends up being the case, the Steelers could end up with a, a real steal there. And I was happy about that pick because that meant that Kurt wasn't taking the guy that I figured would drop to me at 32 after that. And I was right. And I was very happy about it. Yes. Yes. And we can get to that here in a minute. Uh, Another player that was interesting that kind of fell a little bit is Mac Jones. Now, I think that's not so surprising. I think out of the top five quarterbacks, Mac Jones tumbling um, in the mock draft. He fell to the Patriots at number 15 and Henry McKenna. And Henry basically said, look, guys, if, you're gonna, if Mac Jones is going to fall to me at 15, I got to take him. I don't know what else to do here if I'm the Patriots. Uh, but it's kind of funny. Like, as we're getting closer to the draft, you always start to see some smoke, right? And there's some smoke around Justin Fields and Belichick, and there might be a love fest, that, love fest there, and maybe the Patriots will actually trade up that, that hypothetical where we've all been throwing out there, like, will he do it? Will he actually go after Justin Fields? Uh, there's some smoke there, I think, right? There's some, there's some chatter behind the scenes that that's a thing, but uh, I thought that was interesting, too. Mac Jones falling to the Patriots of 15, so Patriots going quarterback. For me, out here in New England, I think that's kind of wishful thinking. Uh, but people just they can't help themselves, right? We we keep on attaching the Pats to a quarterback. Yeah, and again, I think that if they want one, they're going to have to trade up. Obviously, in, in our mock exercise, we didn't have any trades at all. So 
if if nobody was allowed to trade, I could see Mac Jones fall into them at 15. I don't see it happening. Quarterbacks don't last because teams yeah. do have to go up and get them. So if anything, if Mac Jones got to 14, he's not making it to 15. Because if he gets to 14, Washington at 19, Chicago at 20, one of those teams is trading whatever it takes to get up with Minnesota at 14 to go get him before New England can. So he wouldn't even make it there in any scenario, in my opinion. Uh, and again, as far as Justin Fields goes with New England, I think that'd be, that's, that's what they need to do. As aggressive as they were in, in free agency, just go for it. Go trade Atlanta, whatever they want. Go up to four and take Justin Fields because you're getting the second-best quarterback in the draft at number four, and that'd be well worth it. I would have to put my Tom Brady pajamas back in, on the, back in the closet and put on my Patriots gear again if that happens, Luke. Uh, I would be all for that. That'd be great. I want me some Justin Fields. But so another takeaway that I saw, you know, I just couldn't help. I mean, I see Zach Cruz with the Packers wire. He's just man crushing on Elijah Moore, uh, the wide receiver. And we all know that the Packers, they never draft that wide receiver for Aaron Rodgers. We've been waiting for them to make a trade for a wide receiver. The last couple of trade deadlines, the draft, they just don't they don't really do that thing early in the draft, draft the wide receiver for Rodgers. And even Zach, he's he loves Elijah Moore, Luke, but he goes with Alex Leatherwood, the uh, Alabama o-, o lineman. So Zach couldn't even talk himself into Elijah Moore in your mock draft. I found that hilarious. I mean, <laughs> you know, some some people get cold feet when they're on the clock. You never know. I mean, you gotta you gotta be convicted about your guy, and you gotta you gotta be willing to put the the money where your mouth is, right? So maybe he doesn't love Elijah Moore as much as he uh, thinks he does. I feel like He's it just happened this week. Like all the, all of a sudden on Twitter, he just started tweeting about Elijah Moore, and then he mocked him to them in his Packers mock draft. But he didn't pick him in the in the NFL wire one. I, I just found that. I don't know. There's something interesting about that. I have to give some crap about that behind the scenes. Yeah, it's, it was a really fun. Again, I'll have to screenshot the Slack channel for you because it was it was hilarious yeah. to banter back and forth with everybody. Oh, I bet. And and then I think the Broncos at number nine. Uh, this just could be like this could be one of the most interesting spots. Now, first of all, the Broncos traded for Teddy Bridgewater today. Uh, so the day before the draft, they have traded for Bridgewater. They only had to give up a six round pick. And Carolina's paying almost the whole salary. So, I mean, that worked out pretty nice for Denver. So if you're in a spot with, like, the Broncos at number nine and Justin Fields is on the board like he was in your mock, you got a chance to take Fields, but I don't know if that's likely now that you got Bridgewater in the fold and you still got uh, Drew Locke. And if you're not taking Fields, I just... Patrick Sertan is just sitting there and it's just screaming to me to pick Patrick Sertan, right? So, I mean, they could go, you could trade with the Patriots if you want to and let the Patriots draft Justin Fields and get, you know, get some draft capital that way. I think there's all kinds of options. The Broncos at number nine, I I, I know the Falcons at number four, they're very, very interesting. They're going to, the draft's going to fall a certain way based on what they decide. But I think Broncos at number nine could be a really fun turning point in the draft as well. Yeah, you, you mentioned Atlanta too. There are these turning point picks, right? I think it starts at four. Uh, something I just wrote for DraftWire just a, uh, a little bit ago about how that, that's kind of where the draft starts, no matter who the 49ers take, because you know it's going to be a quarterback. But four with Atlanta. I think the next one is seven with Detroit, depending on how the next few picks go. If, if we see kind of a run on quarterbacks early and then a run on pass catchers where it's Pitts and Chase and maybe Waddle, if they end up at seven and all those guys are off the board and they're looking at maybe Panay Suell uh, from, from Oregon, the offensive tackle, but if that fourth, fifth quarterback is still on the board. And if it is, especially if it's Fields or Lance particularly, I think the Lions are probably trying to get the heck out of that pick. Uh, and again, the closer you get to 15, the more likely it is that, that the, the Patriots could move up without paying as much. 
the closer you get, again, the closer you are to teams like Washington and Chicago at 19 and 20. Once you get outside the top five and closer to the top 10, it's, it becomes cheaper. So uh, I think the Lions could be an interesting spot to, to move off there. But to, to go back to the Bridgewater trade, this is interesting in how it relates to both how I feel about the Lions and the, the Panthers quarterback situation. Look at those teams, seven, eight, and nine in this draft. They just traded for Jared Goff, Sam Darnold, and now Teddy Bridgewater. None of those three guys should keep you from drafting Justin Fields. (laughs) Seriously, it's a bunch of crap. At number seven, eight, or nine. I don't care what money you still have invested in. None of those three quarterbacks are good (laughs) enough, and none of what you have invested in them is worth passing that guy up. Again, he's been QB2 in this class since May for me, and that has not changed. He should go number two, and the only reason he shouldn't go number one is because Trevor Lawrence is in this class. Any other class, he should be the number one pick. Slam dunk, no questions asked, in my opinion. So the fact that we're talking about him being on the on the board at seven, eight, nine, and teams, you really going to get on the clock and say, well, I'd love to take Justin Fields here, but I just traded for Jared Goff. I <laughs> no, just traded for Sam yourself. Darnold. Yeah, I just traded for, and again, I love Teddy Bridgewater. I've been preaching Teddy Bridgewater gospel since that draft, and, and I'm a huge fan of his. I think he's a phenomenal teammate, a great leader, and a great player. But none of those three quarterbacks are anywhere near good enough for you to pass up a talent like Justin Fields on a rookie contract for the next five years because because you have what? Are you serious? No way. No way. So any of those three teams, I don't care which one, if they all pass on him, trading back, I get it because you need more than one guy and you can go, you know, build around that quarterback that you traded for. That's fine. I get that. But to sit and pick at all three of those picks and if all three of those teams pass on him, I mean, I'm not going to quit, but man, I'm, I, it'll just prove to me that the, the NFL knows about as much or as little as a lot of other people about quarterback evaluation, I guess. I love it. Whenever you hear Luke go, I don't care, you know that a really good take is coming right after that. So that was, that was tremendous. Um, all right. So your final prediction for the Bucks at number 32, you got your guy, Najee Harris, right, from Alabama. So he fell to you, the running back. He slipped past the Steelers. Nobody ended up taking him. There was no other running backs too, right? It was only Harris that went in the mock draft. You got you s- scooped him up for the Bucks at number thirty-two. Um, but what's your final prediction, Luke? What do you actually think is going to happen for the Bucks at that spot? Yeah, I don't think Harris is going to be there. I think eighteen at Miami is probably his ceiling. I think a dark horse could be Atlanta, depending on how far they trade back. If they do drop back to fifteen, all the way to fifteen with New England, I know that's a big jump, but they could get multiple first-round picks end up at 15 and take a guy like Najee Harris there, which again, he's number 16 overall on my board. I don't care. He's a running back. He's the 16th best player in this draft and they need a running back. Mike Davis is a solid, you know, stopgap guy and, and more of a, a change of pace backup type. But it's the same reason I took him at 32 for the Bucks. The Bucks have Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. They just re-signed or they just brought in Gio Bernard. They have Keyshawn Vaughn last year's third round pick. But if Najee Harris is there, He's the best player available by far, in my opinion. And you don't have, you can put all those running backs the Bucks have in a pot and stir them together. And you would hope that you could come out with a Najee Harris <laughs> combined in all, from all of those guys, because that's how good he is. 6'2, 235, three down back, can run, can catch, can pass protect. He can do all those things in one package instead of needing four running backs to do it. And that's why I took him there. So. You know, to see him still on the board that late, I I couldn't resist it. I don't expect that to happen. I think twenty four Pittsburgh is probably his his ceiling floor, whichever direction you want to call it. I think if he gets anywhere near thirty two 
Look at the top of the second round. Look at 34 with the Jets, 35 with the Falcons, 36 with the Dolphins. All three of those teams should be making calls to get up 30 with Buffalo, whatever it takes to get up ahead of the Bucks to make sure they get Najee Harris. As far as what will actually happen, I see, you know, especially after the AB signing, you know, it probably takes wide receiver off the board if, if you're looking for a dark horse, you know, position of need that they could go there. They don't have any needs. So I was thinking if they don't bring back AB, right, if, if, if say, a guy like Elijah Moore, or Rondale Moore, Kadarius Toney, one of those receivers falls to them and they're thinking, eh, let's just get Brady another toy to play with. Let's get him a, a rookie receiver who runs 4 3. Let, yeah, that's some fun. Good names in there. Yeah, you know, that would be a fun pick. I don't see that happening now. Just, you know, it's a numbers game at this point, you know, as far as who makes the roster. So at 32, I think the, the, the value of this draft and where the board will fall and also what the Bucks did and did not do in free agency this year. Yes, they brought back Shaq Barrett, so he's locked up for the next four years. But JPP is 32, coming off knee surgery, only one year left on that contract. And they didn't really do much behind those guys in free agency. Anthony Nelson's back, fourth-round pick from two years ago. Cam Gill, undrafted free agent from last year. Great athlete. They like him a lot. But no proven depth behind JPP at all. So if you're thinking past 2021, it's Shaq Barrett, and that's about it. So they address defensive line depth. They address all these other depth positions to, to the point where everything, to me, points to edge rusher at 32. And that's great because that's where I think there will be a lot of value. In our mock draft, some guys went earlier than I expected them to. So, again, I couldn't really pass up on Najee Harris there. But any number of edge rushers, uh, Aziz Ojolari from Georgia is the guy I really like that I think would be the best fit for the for the Bucks defense uh, in that, that aggressive hybrid front that Todd Bowles runs. Joe Tryon from Washington is a guy that I think a lot of people who that I trust who know a lot about what goes on in that building are picking him. So that tells me the Bucks really like him. I trust people that know a lot about what's going on. And, and the fact that they continue to mock Joe Tryon to the Bucks at 32 makes me feel like if he's on the board, he will be that pick. I don't even think he gets that far, to be honest. I, I think the league likes him a lot better than the media does. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him be a top 20 pick, it, it, to be honest. Miami at 18, I think, would make sense for him as well. Um, Joseph Osai from Texas. Uh, any of the Miami guys, Jalen Phillips, uh, again, injury is an issue there, but he's a, a very talented guy if he's healthy. Greg Rousseau, who, again, was a potential top five pick before he hopped it out. Uh, a lot of edge rush, and I think that there will be a stack of guys at 32, any of which would be worth that pick, as opposed to what I expect to be at other positions that would be anywhere near the same type of need. I think maybe the dark horse is probably corner. Carlton Davis is going into the last year of his rookie deal. Maybe you, you kind of plan for the future if you don't think you can afford to re-sign him because you're going to need to re-sign Chris Godwin and, and some other guys. So I, I think it comes down to edge rusher. I think that's where it's going to be the marriage of the need and the value. Man, you are a machine. I appreciate all the time and all the insight over the last couple months, my man. And, uh, hey, all I got to say is Merry NFL Draft Eve to you, Luke. I mean – Hey, the cookies and milk are out, man. It's, <laughs> it's – uh, I'm I'm so excited again. It's it's hard not to just feel like a kid again every year when this rolls around, and I hope it never goes away. Everyone, enjoy the draft. It's going to be a fun weekend. We'll talk to y'all next week. This USA Today Sports podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.